Welcome to episode 252 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we preview the 2021 Rugby League World Cup and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 252 of the Rugby League Republic podcast. We aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, the Rugby League World Cup is upon us. The 2021 Rugby League World Cup, held in 2022, Mm. is upon us. Are you pumped? This is the pinnacle of International Rugby League. What are you feeling at this moment? Okay, I'm feeling alive. I'm feeling super pumped, super excited. Uh, I feel like I've had 30,000 Red Bulls when I've had zero, uh, <laughs> just because I'm so excited about um, – and I can't hide how excited I am just because of this Rugby League World Cup. You know, it's been it's been five long years since 2017, and it's probably not even five. It's probably even more than that now, three – Anyway, it's been a long time um, since we've it's had five a regular years. It's five years. It's, yeah. it's five years. Yeah, and and you know what? Like you know, and I think the squads are uh, are in the the players are in. There's already you know there's already like you know uh, you know some people uh, talking about you know the lottery for the jersey numbers and who's playing for who and all that kind of stuff. But it's, I think it's fantastic. And and look, you know, like I mean. Um, I think your team, Parramatta, has a 15 players in the tournament. My team, the West Tigers, they have um, – how many do they have? Well, they, they don't have a lot. They only have about five. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's going to be exciting, isn't it? Like, you know, uh, all these teams, um, lots of NRL talent, lots of Super League talent um, that, you know, that, that, you know, that you probably don't see them play all the time. Uh, against each other, right? Like, so this is going to be, I think, super exciting. How about yourself, Dr. T? Are you a a Rugby League World Cup uh, guy? I am all about this World Cup. You know, like, we keep talking, you know, mistakenly, I think, that the origin is the pinnacle. It's two tribes and this, that, the other. It's certainly hyped like it is the biggest thing. But, no, I truly believe that if we are to, uh, to get the right balance in rugby league, it's got to be all about the international game. Uh, not all about, obviously, you know, we, we follow our clubs and, and we have state of origin is still uh, a massive, uh, you know, kind of event or series of events during the year. But I think it's got to, you know, realistically, the best of the best has got to be about international rugby league. The growth of the game relies on the growth of the international rugby league and a competitive international rugby league scene uh and the thing about this world cup and i know we're gonna we're gonna have an epic one we're gonna talk about all those issues you discussed tish you know the jerseys etc and many more throughout this podcast today uh as we kind of preview the entire uh world cup uh scene and 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 the group matches at least we're going to give 
the tips in quite extensive detail uh, ahead of time. So we we put them in, put them in, lock them away, lock them in eddy, as they say, and then uh, we will come back at the end of the group stage to see how we went and uh, and and to give the tips for the knockout stages. And look, the thing about this World Cup that I'm really excited about is. You know, the fact that it's been postponed for a year, obviously last year New Zealand and, and Australia uh, were had COVID concerns and, and because of that they decided to postpone the entire tournament where there was discussion at one point of going ahead without Australia and New Zealand, which I think would have been absolutely disastrous. So I think, you know, waiting another year, getting, getting the little bits and pieces right, the organisation had more time to hype up the event and and to seek you know more support it's i believe from what i hear i think most if not all the games are sold out uh so it's going to be kind of chock-a-block all the way through which is great um you know the uk uh audiences have definitely uh i think all the games are going to be held i believe it's is it entirely in the uk or am i mistaken it's probably uh uh Probably, yeah, and no, I think it's all in the UK. I don't think France has been involved uh, in in any of of these uh, games. But yeah, there's a lot of questions that are going to be answered at, in this World Cup. You know, are Australia still uh, the Kangaroos? Still the pinnacle? Are they still the team to beat? Uh, what of Tonga? The rise of Tonga since last time. Uh, Tonga, of course, famously in 2019, uh, you know, defeated. The Australian Kangaroos in a Test match, not 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 related to the World Cup tournament or any other tournament, just a one-off kind of Test match, and uh, you know, basically, it was a seismic event in the world of international rugby league to think that a former minnow like Tonga could topple Australia, uh, you know, at its best, really. Like there was no, it wasn't like it was a reserve uh, or an Australia A side or a B-grade side, it was the full squad, and we beat them. Uh, the, the Tongans are saying to themselves, we beat them, we can beat them again, we can win this World Cup. So there are questions around, can they put it together in a tournament setting uh, in this World Cup? I uh, One of my tips that's outstanding, Tish, from our Crystal Ball episode earlier in the year, is that I tipped the Tongans to win the World Cup as the biggest news event of the year. And I think that's still in play. It's possible. Um, yeah. But Samoa, the rise of Samoa, we've got players like Luai and and you know Crichton and and To'o who are have solidified themselves as some of the best in their positions across the world uh, in the in the dominant Panthers side of this year. You know, are they the ones who to take Samoa to the next level? Um, uh, is Samoa going to join Tonga? What of New Zealand? New Zealand had a disappointing 2017, but they have had a massive change in personnel. You've got likes of Joey Manu, Dylan Brown, who are dominating uh, the games that they play. You know, what What does that mean uh, for, for the rise of New Zealand again? And then Great Britain, well, England, sorry, I should say, not Great Britain, England, um, you know, they only lost the World Cup final 6-0 to Australian Kangaroos. And, you know, they. Uh, what has happened since then? Have they, are there players, uh, you know, of, of equal standing uh, from that time? What's going to happen? They're on home turf, <laughs> you know. 
they're on home turf. They've got the advantage. So, again, what does this mean? So we've got so many possibilities. Let's not forget as well, Fiji and PNG as well are going yeah. are gonna to battle for semifinal spots. And so, look, it's, I am so excited about this. It's going to be a really epic tournament. And I think we're going to see quite a few upsets and a reshaping of the world order of rugby league. So this, for that very reason, Tish, I think let's launch into, uh, well, we've got six tackles. One of them is about the NRL, but the rest of them is about the World Cup. So uh, without any further ado, shall we get into tackle number one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I did say tackle number one was about the NRL because there has been some news that we we think we might want to talk about briefly before we get stuck into the World Cup stuff. Uh, And the first bit of news is uh, some um, trouble brewing at the St. George Illawarra Dragons where uh, a majority of the team failed to show up for their own awards night. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, and 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 players like Ben Hunt, who obviously one of the star players uh, in in the running for Dalian Medal, uh, medalist of uh, Player of the Year, um, uh, has come out and publicly slammed his teammates for being disrespectful. Uh, now you know, I guess the question is, Tish, uh, and I don't have the numbers on me, but I think it was uh, you know when we talk about majority, we're talking how many. Okay. Uh, Oh, no, no. So, so it is three players actually showed up. Twenty-seven did not. Yeah, out of the thirty-man squad. Yeah, and I guess I guess the question is, well, some you can find excuses galore about well, maybe they thought it was, uh, maybe they thought it was a Mad Monday and they didn't need to go. Maybe no one really forced upon them, uh, or re- reiterated or reinforced the the expectations that they need to be there. But look, mate, regardless of that, it's an awards night. Almost every mm. professional and non-professional club has an awards night at the end of the year, a chance for the lads or, or the or the ladies or whoever, really, to get together, have some drinks, have some, you know, great food and, and share with family and friends a bit of a celebration about the year that was or commiserations if it wasn't that strong. Um and, and that goes whether you are have a successful season or not. You generally expect these things to happen and everyone to show up. But for three out of 30 to show up says there's a real toxic environment happening over there at the Dragons. Now, some people are suggesting that this might be indicative of the players, um, you know, maybe disrespecting or snubbing, uh, uh, what's his name, Coach uh, Anthony Griffin. Anthony Griffin. Yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, look, Tish, what's your view on this? Okay, well, uh, all is not well in uh, at St. George of Wall of Dragons. Um, you know, Ben Hunt, uh, he's just got his uh, contract renewed, by the way. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's not as lucrative as what his current contract is. Um, uh, but I think it is a substantial amount still. Um, but then, yeah, he's won he's won uh, Player of the Year for for the Dragons, which I think he absolutely deserves because I think he is being the best player for St George, um, you know, St George Illawarra Dragons. But look, you know, the other thing that you're hearing is that some of the younger halfbacks have actually asked for their release um, and and actually wanting uh, to head off to the Bulldogs. I think was one of them, um, you know, for next year. Um, 
as soon as they, you know, and this is just obviously ju- uh, speculation from journalists out there, but based on the fact that, you know, Ben Hunt's going to be, um, you know, has been renewed. So obviously this young kid doesn't see the opportunity to, to play at the Dragons, right, anymore. So, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a crazy situation that they're at. And um, I also think, look, I think St. George, the way they've organised this, because St. George's season finished quite a while ago, right? And they decided to do the awards night after the grand final. So it's like a four, mm. four or five week period, right? Like, you know, I mean, um, which which I think if they'd sort of done it sort of a bit sort of, um, you know, sort of within the final series as well, like then, you know, at least that way, because I think a lot of players have already gone overseas, already booked their holidays and stuff like this. And then they've just sort of, you know, organised that when people are going to be away. Um, now, not that's not the excuse for... Uh, Everybody, but I think that's an excuse for for at least fifteen players of their team, you know, and um, and look, for me, I mean, this is very simple. If you want to get a group of St George Illawarra Dragons players together, <laughs> you know, you just get Paul Vaughan to organise a barbecue, right. and they'll all show up. <laughs> you know, that's that's the- in fact they'll show up even if they're playing for another team. They will show up. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they might even leave their phone behind, right? And then so when the police <laughs> come and ask them, hey, you know, uh, you're at the – and as I know it wasn't, well, we found your phone under the bed, right? So, uh, you know, so that could be the whole thing. But, look, I think <laughs> I think that's crazy. And, look, the, the other thing about the Dragons, I don't think they've had a bad season. They've actually improved on last year's performance. It's just that there were other teams that improved better than them. But they've actually, you know, if they, if they uh, if they if if they had the same result they had this year as what they had in in the um, twenty twenty one uh, you know year, they would have fish, finished. I think it would be sixth. So yeah, it, it hasn't been all bad, but they've just uh, I don't know the, the the fact they haven't made the finals that they can't see the good. So. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I think Anthony Griffin, like, you know, you hear these stories about this undisciplined sort of thing. If you remember back to when he was at Penrith, there was also some incidences that happened as well. So I just don't know if it's, um, don't know if it's, if it's his forte, like being able to sort of um, have the right type of culture within the club. Like maybe they might need to get somebody in his coaching staff that's a bit better at sort of, um, handle the place because I think I think with all the different incidences that you've had in his current tenure, um, they've been crazy, haven't they? You know, like yeah, the barbecue gate, uh, this scenario that they've got at the moment, and you know other incidences out there. So mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's my take on it. Yeah. All right, and look, the other news, uh, I guess you know. Negative news in the NRL circles is Manly. Uh, Des Hasler is under threat. Um, there has been talk about the, uh, you know, what, what do they usually say? The board has decided to move on. Mm. Um, the uh, There was something about the club owner. So something in the news about the club owner uh, basically uh, saying that they're ready to move on. Um, and is that... Hang on, let me just double check the the comment. Um, yeah, so there there is uh, I can't find the exact quote, but there is definitely a uh, uh, yeah. a, a, a negative uh, kind of vibe there. The 
added to that, there's Anthony Seabold is coming in as potentially being groomed to be taking over Des Hasler in the near future. So I think that leaves Des in a position where he feels like, you know, his time is up and he's just going to be asked to mentor uh, an incoming coach. Uh, and, and that's going to be a bit bit awkward and a bit weird. So I think Des Hasler's seen the writing on the wall uh, and, uh, and he's deciding to, well, you know, who knows, maybe he might jump. So yeah, there's a bit of news there. Do you, what's what, and then I guess the other thing is with the unrest happening there, the, the risk is that it also flows o- over into the players and the player market. And I think there's some talk about Tommy Turbo being a bit fed up about all this uncertainty going on. And on top of all that pride jersey uh, shenanigans yeah. that happened earlier in the year, I mean, really Manly has got some, you know, back office stuff to sort out as well as, uh, I guess, as well as the, uh, the Dragons do. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any comments on Manly and, and, and the way Desi Hasler is being treated? Yeah, well, look, this is uh, exactly what I thought would happen, um, you know, to the club in the Northern Beaches once they um, decided to end home and away, right? <laughs> you know, the Northern Beaches needed some outlet and here we are at Des Hasler <laughs> The real life, the real, the real, well, you know, uh, housewives, maybe we could change that. The real, you know, NRL players of, of Manly, right? Because it's like, um, you know, here's a team that last year made it to the finals. This year, a lot of people saying if they didn't, if they actually had their, during that game against the Roosters, if they actually had their full squad, they probably would have made it to the finals, right? So that whole rainbow, uh, rainbow jersey fiasco, um, and then on top of all of that, like, you know, I think Des has sued the club over it and um, so much unrest. Look, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, all I can say is that I, I don't think Des Houses is going to be coaching mainly next year. I just feel like it's going to it's going to escalate in, even further. And yeah, yeah. yeah and um, yeah, not too sure if his sacking is going to happen in 2022 or 2023, but I feel <laughs> like it's, it's not too far away. So he could either be the last coach sacked in 2022 or the first coach. Coach sacked in twenty twenty three. So well, but, hopefully, Des, Desi sticks around and uh, yeah, you know, allows us to. And I don't to, think he deserves it uh, as well. I think he's no, no, had true. a great run at, at Manly, so I, I think it's it's terrible. And look, yeah, Anthony Seabold, he's getting another chance. He's a great strategist, but you know, if I was to put them, if I was to put two together and say, look, you know, which team, which which coach I'd rather have coaching, I think I'd still stick with Des Hasler. Right? I don't, I don't see. I don't, I don't see if they're any better off with Anthony Seabold at the moment. All right. Well, let's draw a line under NRL and start talking International Rugby League. So here we go with the primer for the 2021 Rugby League World Cup. Tackle number two. All right. All right. So this is a bit of a primer. We're just going to talk about the uh, just some basic information about the, the clubs and then we'll launch into some other topics. And then finally, we'll end up with the tips. So look, um, the groups. So there are four groups. For those of you who don't know, four teams each. There are 16 teams at this World Cup. Uh, and it looks like like this. Group A 
is uh, going to involve England, France, Greece, and Samoa. Group B will be Australia, Fiji, Italy, and Scotland. Group C will be Ireland, Jamaica, Lebanon, and New Zealand. And finally, Group D will be Cook Islands, Papua New Guinea, Wales, and Tonga. And before we get into our, our kind of uh, discussion uh, about that, we'll, I'll just kind of go through a little bit of some of the, um, the stats about some of the teams that are involved. Uh, and so, look, representing the Americas region is Jamaica, world ranking of 20. It is uh, their debut in the World Cup. And, uh, and so good on them. Let's see how they go. Australia, of course, the Kangaroos are an automatic uh, qualifier because they were the champions last time around, although they are currently ranked second in the world to New Zealand. Um, they have been the champions 11 times more than any other team combined. Um, and uh, uh, the uh Let's see, the Cook Islands, uh, they got into a repercharge playoff. They are ranked 23rd, uh, and they've never really made it out of group stages in two previous appearances. Fiji uh, were automatically selected, I think because they made the semifinals uh, last time, potentially, or because of the the region. They yeah, are and, and three times in the last three World Cups they made it to the semifinals. That's right. They they've made the last the last three yes semifinals. They're currently ranked fifth in the world, which is interesting. Uh, ranked fourth in the world is Tonga, uh, who obviously famously were also semifinalists and were within a whisker, a, a Andrew Fafita fingertip mm. uh, of making the the final uh, when they when they played against England in the semifinal. Um, and you're right; they are um, uh, they are fourth in the world at the moment. New Zealand uh, have played in uh, 15 uh, previous World Cups, as has Australia, France, uh, or I think Australia and France are the main ones. Um, and uh, they were the champions in 2008, so that's our pre- their previous best performance. But obviously, last time they performed pretty poorly. Uh, I think they made it to the quarterfinals and no further. Um, and they are ranked number one in the world. Number six in the world is Papua New Guinea, and their best performances of late have been in the 2000 and the 2017 World Cups in uh, in which they made the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals were also Samoa. Their best performance has been quarterfinals in 2017, prior to that in 2013 and 2000. And they are currently ranked seventh in the world, which I think is, uh, uh, well, I think that they're, they're probably deserving of a higher ranking than seventh, to be honest. And, and they're going to be one of my wild cards for this tournament. And finally, from the European side, there's quite, there's quite a few teams there, or not finally, <laughs> there's quite a few teams from Europe. England, uh, their best performances have been runner-up, obviously most recently in 2017, and they are ranked third in the world. France, uh, runners-up in 1954 in the very first Rugby League World Cup and then in 1968, have not done anything since then, unfortunately. They did manage to win the European competition and that's why they have they've qualified for this World Cup and they're currently eighth in the world. Um, Wales is ranked 14. 
their best performances were in the late 90s, to be honest. 1995 and 2000, they made the semifinals. So there was a time there, yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that Wales was actually a pretty strong European team. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they have kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, Scotland, not not as uh, as well performed, uh, however, did make the quarterfinals in 2013, and they're currently ranked ninth in the world. Um, their brothers across the aisle, uh, Ireland, making the quarterfinals is their best performance, 2000 and in 2008, and they are, are currently 12th in the world. Greece is making their debut in this uh, Rugby League World Cup. They are currently ranked 11th in the world, uh, but really, uh, and, and just ahead of Italy, who's ranked 13th. And Italy, uh, unfortunately, never has never gotten out of the group stages. So really, Greece at the moment is kind of uh, ranked a bit higher and performed a bit higher in terms of the playoffs uh, in Europe to get to this World Cup. And finally, representing the Middle East and African region, Lebanon, uh, made, making the, uh, who made the quarterfinals in 2017, is ranked 10th in the world. And we are going to jump later to diving into... I guess the uh, the the players to watch out for, uh, but for now I'll leave it there. Uh, that's the primer, and we are now going to go to tackle number three. We're going to start talking about a couple of issues involving the the kangaroos. So tackle number three, here we go. So there is a big controversy. It's called the numbers game. <laughs> That's this, the title of this tackle is it's a numbers game. It is about obviously the uh, the controversial decision uh, to to have a very unusual World Cup jersey numbering system. And there's been a lot of controversy with the, uh, the Australian Kangaroos, especially the coach Mal Meninga coming out uh, and. Uh, and, and taking aim at senior Kangaroos officials for voting to scrap the traditional player number system. Uh, instead, the move is... Uh, so initially, or originally, I guess, the, what people are expecting is, is to have the traditional system where you have uh, 1 through 13 being uh, the, uh, the starting lineup so to speak, and then uh, obviously 14 to 17 being the reserves, uh, you know, the the bench basically. And then the rest of the numbers of the squad being the players that are kind of ranked below that and uh, are, are on reserve to join the bench. Um, instead, Tish, what, what are they doing with the jerseys now? They've got a numbering system, which I can't really explain. Can you explain to me what their numbering system is? Do you understand how it works? Um. Yeah, I, I believe they're doing a lotto where they're drawing out of a, a hat who gets what number. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, uh, yeah, so the new uh, system means players will wear squad numbers rather than their usual ones reflecting their position. Starting with props, will wear uh, 18 again. <laughs> against Fiji, and then uh, Murray Tulungi, he's going to be wearing number 23, and Jeremy Nenai, who's, uh, you know, on the wing, is going to be playing is 22. So I think it's the order that maybe Mal has named the squad is the order that they're going to come out with. So, um, you know, for example, uh, I think uh, 
Yeah, Seagulls halfback de- who made his debut in 2011 will don number two when Ben Hunt will wear number three. So I think it's the order that you were had represented. Okay. Based on, okay, so the Australian footballers will now wear their numbers based on when they made their international debut. The only exception is the captain being James Tedesco, who will wear number one. So I suppose if that's the rule, then everybody else, all the other captains are wearing number one, right? But then Dally Cherry Evans wears number two because he's the second oldest in the thing, in the in the team, and then like Ben Hunt will wear number three, right? <laughs> and um, so wow, what a terrible system <laughs> in summary. Yeah. What, a, what a ridiculous! Do you do you agree that it's a ridiculous? Uh, yeah, you know? I, I absolutely do. But it also shows a little interesting thing with Australia is that Nathan Cleary, who is making his debut for Australia, he's wearing number fourteen, which means that they're out of their squad of what is a twenty-five man squad or thirty squad. I think it's twenty-five man squad. Um, yeah, they've they've only got thirteen players who played for Australia before, right? <laughs> Australia. Wow. So it, it it is very. An interesting position that Australia has. I still think that Australia—it's their tournament to lose. In that, look, Mal's picked his team. He's experienced, you know, coach. Australia should have the the squad to win. Um, but all the other teams have strengthened themselves, and I'm not 100 uh, percent behind some of the decisions they're currently making on the squad. But I, I know we'll might get that into that a bit later. But yeah, but look, I think yeah, I think we're on, yeah. Yeah, the numbering system, it's its crazy, right? So um, just 1 to 17, everybody got their, uh, you know, normal playing positions. What's wrong with that? Like, you know, does it, does it have to – why why change something if it's not broken, right? That's right. And the reason – the other reason why it's good – it would be good to have had that system is that, say, let's just say they picked Daily, you know, initially Daily Cherry Evans gets a seven. But then during the course of the tournament – Mal decides to opt for Nathan Cleary as the halfback. You know, it means that you'll see him wearing, you know, who knows, 22, whatever, whatever number. Um, and you might be thinking, well, that's a bit odd. Everyone else has got one to seven, one to six in the back line, but he's 22. Well, that gives you information that he has usurped the first grade, the first ranked halfback, <laughs> you know, from, mm. from a reserve position. That tells you something that, that from the start of the tournament, this yeah. player has risen up and and whereas he wasn't initially named in the starting lineup. And I think that's the other thing is that there's too much of this kind of let's just pick a squad of players rather than, you know, I, back in the days when we were invincibles and unbeatables in the 80s in those kangaroo, those famous kangaroo tours, you know, there was, there was a sense that you kind of, you could pretty much predict exactly the lineup the starting lineup of your best pl- of, of your best team, and there was a, there was an element of stability involved in that. Whereas I think there's not so much anymore. It feels like mm. like I don't know if we could, with much confidence, predict the starting lineup, with the exception of maybe I would say maybe fifty percent of those players. Let's be confident. Fifty percent, we might be able to completely nail it correctly. But I get the feeling that there are others that we would completely be confused about and, and uh, yeah, not, not really predict it. So I think, whereas in years gone by, I mean, you could pretty much know exactly 1 to 13, you know, Wally Lewis, Alan Langer, or, you know, Peter Sterling, whatever, whoever the case, whatever the case may be, was not the case anymore. But, yeah, um, I'm not necessarily someone, and I don't think you are either, Tish, that, that opts for tradition for the sake of tradition. 
Um, I think when you look clearly at what are the benefits of having that traditional numbering system that's based on the position that you play, not when you became, a de- uh, when you debuted for your country, um, <laughs> that that to me is uh, as a complete, I don't know, that's an innovation too far, I would say. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, do you want your final word on that, Tish, before we move on? No, I think let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Tackle number four. Here we go. All right, tackle number four. And look, Josh Adokar has called for Australia to introduce a pre-game Indigenous war cry similar to the haka that you see in uh, in multiple codes, especially from rugby union, but even in rugby league now, and also the other ones that are done with the uh, with Tonga and Samoa and Fiji and, and PNG, I think, have their own version. And yet Australia doesn't have one, and I think a lot of it has to do with you know the the low percentage of uh, indigenous players in the top squad, but but there are enough that that I think we could we could uh, you know Josh Adokar's made a real case for it, um, and I think uh, the idea of of having it I think will be a great idea. It was something that they they tried a while ago. I think uh, I think it was when uh, you know Thurston, Greg Inglis, etc. were around several years ago, but it's for some reason it's dropped off the radar. Um, but I'm wondering whether whether you agree, Tish, that this is something that we need to do going forward. It is a way of respecting the Aboriginal and Indigenous culture, uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander and Indigenous culture in general, um, you know, regardless of the ethnic makeup or, or of racial makeup of the the actual team. The fact that the fact that there are players saying let's let's do this as a matter of course, so that. Uh, you know, all the players get involved and do it as even as a way of respecting uh, the the traditional cultures of this country. And so, Tish, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think Australia should be doing that? Yeah, well, I think um, – well, I'm going back to an article from earlier this year in February where I think the Rugby League Players Association, um, cl- you know, oh, the adoption, yeah, of the Indigenous war cry was, was cleared. That's, I think that was for the All-Stars game. So I think it's good if we do actually have this. It's got to mean something, right? And uh, I could see that, like, they did the ceremony in 2017 World Cup as well. Um, you know, um, so I think it would be good if if this could be something that they uh, could re-adopt. I believe for 60 years the kangaroos were doing this from 1908 up until, like, you know, well, the 1960s. And then I'm not 100% sure why it was dropped. But I think uh, I, th- I think it is a good thing to do. Uh, the only thing that I that I would urge on is that it's got to mean something. It's got to be meaningful. Um, it's got to be respectful as well. Um, I did hear some debate whether I think some people were suggesting that perhaps it, it wasn't the most... Um, Political, political correct. I'm not 100 percent sure, but some. I think some people said that it could could have actually been if some of the some of the actions are a bit offensive, or which I don't know. But look, I think let's come up with something that is representing of indigenous culture, culture, because there are so many great NRL players, kangaroo players that are playing 
in the NRL and in this lineup too that come from a Indigenous background. And let's have it mean something. And I think it's great if everybody can participate because, you know, we do want to come together as one nation. And I think this makes perfect sense. You know, New Zealand have got one and, you know, uh, and not all of the New Zealand players are necessarily, um, you know, from a Maori background, but they all still do it to pay respect to um, to Maori culture. And I think, why can't we do the same in Australia without without everybody getting upset about it, right? So um, I think let's just do it. I, th- I think that's, that's what I'd say. Um, but let's not do it for the sake of doing it. Let's do it because it means something. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to uh, who are the players to watch in the World Cup? Tackle number five. Here we go. Tackle number five, we're going to go through each of the teams and uh, I'll get you a quick view, Tish, on who are the players to watch from each of those countries, starting with England, coached by Sean Wayne. Uh, You know, in my mind, we've got, you know, the usual suspects, the Ryan Halls of the world, etc. But I, and Sam Tompkins as captain, is probably one of the key players to look out for. But I wonder what Victor Radley can do. Victor Radley, obviously, famously, you know, eligible to play for Australia, and and uh, uh, and and yeah, decided to ch- play for England, uh, his father's homeland. So, um, yeah, we've also got Tom Burgess, etc. But but Tish, I'm in my mind, my, I'm looking out for Victor Radley in the England squad. What about you? Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, I was the same. I, I was going to select Victor Radley because, uh, yeah, and I heard a funny story where, um, you know, his dad, uh, something about his dad, he's a mad Sheffield Wednesday fan and they're going to play a game in Sheffield. Um, but then he was upset about it because it was actually the Sheffield United home ground. And, uh, appara- <laughs> and apparently <laughs> he's going to do something for three days or so. I, I don't know, but it was, uh, it, it sounded, it sounded quite, quite, quite vulgar, but like, you know, but that's Victor Radley, right? He's a bit of a character. Look, I'd say, look, I, I probably want to see some of these English players that haven't made it into the, um, into, into the NRL yet quite yet. See how they, they sort of uh, kick it around, you know, play like, uh, you know, like George Williams. And, um, and I'm trying to look for all, uh, this big forward, like some of the forwards I know are usually quite, quite good. Uh, Jack Will, uh, I think Jack Wellsby is a 31 year old halfback making his debut just last week. So I just want to see some, some of this super league talent and, and how they go up against some of the NRL talent. That's probably what I'm looking forward to the most there um, with England. All right. France uh, coached by Laurent Frezinus. Frezinus. Yes. Um, has uh, you know not one NRL player, but does have Samasoni Lengi, who has qualified via five-year residency rule, uh, where he previously played for Tonga in the last two tournaments. Uh, or he sorry represented uh, in 2017, but he didn't actually play in the tournament uh, in 2017. But look, um, look, I, don't, I have to admit, I don't know much about some of the French players. Um, a lot of them are from, uh, obviously, they're, they're split between uh, Catalan Dragons and a few from Toulouse Olympic. Um, but there's a smattering of other players representing other teams. So 
There's a Salford Red Devils representative, Halifax Panthers, and uh, Featherstone Rovers as well. But generally, it is very much dominated by Catalans. I'm actually looking forward to seeing what Lange can do. <laughs> I'm actually thinking he's a, the player to watch out for, uh, even though he's not a, a, a French-born citizen. Um, absolutely. I'm, I think uh, I'll be waiting to see whether whether he's made the right move to switch allegiances. What do you? What about you, Tish? Yeah, well, look, I, I'm I'm looking for the combination of uh, of of uh, Paul Macron and um, <laughs> Alex Da Costa, um, maybe more of the Catalonia part of the Catalans. Alex Da Costa, I'm not 100 percent sure, um, but yeah, but I think that would be good. And you know what? Like, you know. Let's 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 go Arthur Romano as well. You know some Romain salad in there as well. Just uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's when I look at the French team, it makes me hungry. Can I say that, Doctor uh, Tista? <laughs> Speaking of hunger, Greece. If you're after <laughs> some Greek food, Greece is head coached by Steve Georgialis. Obviously, we know know of that. And and look, I think the player to look out for in Greece, we've got we do have an interesting kind of combination of um, you know. Greek players in actual there's there is a Greek uh, local uh, competition. Those of you who don't know, probably not a paid uh, you know semi uh, even semi professional maybe uh, competition. Got some players from there, some players locally, of course, from Ips, even from Ipswich Jets and Mittagong Lions. Um, but the key to me is Lachlan Ilias from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. He has performed so well. Uh, you know he was. I think mm. it's fair to say that he was one of the key players when when some of the other key players went missing in the semifinals, uh, lost to the Panthers. Lachlan Elias kind of was a stable force and and kept them kept them going. So I I think I think he's someone that might uh, perform well. And also you know if I'm going to throw in another South Sydney Rabbitoh, Peter Mamuzelos. Uh, is also going to be there. But I think, look, Ilias, Lachlan Ilias is the main player to watch out for. What about you, Tish? Yeah, well, look, um, captain of the team is University of Sunshine Coast player Jordan Meads, um, you know, who plays for the Sunshine Barbarians. And I think that when you have Greeks and Barbarians in the same lineup, um, <laughs> history has shown us victory. Um, so I think they're calling Jordan Meads the great um, that's 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 how much uh, they're looking into it. Uh, but look, another player, Billy Margolis. Um, I know, uh, you know, I've seen him win a premiership, like the you know the the one below the NRL for the Newtown Jets. But I think he's a really good player. I think every time he's played for, I believe it's Cronulla um, when he's had a shot, he's always performed really well. So um, looking for him to have a great tournament, which might help him actually break out into the. Um, to the starting lineup of the Sharks moving forward. All right. We are still in Group A. Samoa is the final team in Group A. Oh, and man. they are coached by Matt Parrish. Luciano Leilua was in the squad, but because of some uh, criminal offences <laughs> yeah. that he's been charged for, they have <laughs> wisely replaced him with someone else named Liggy Sao. Or Li- yeah, Sao. Um, look, we, we're talking about, you know, this is the rising team here in this tournament, mm. Samoa. I think if you look at the squad, they are just chock-a-block full of NRL stars that have performed extremely well. And I think I'm expecting them to f- perform well. 
key players to look out for, I think, uh, Jerome Luai from the Panthers and also Junior Paulo from uh, from the Parramatta Eels. Um, you know, ably supported by Brian Toll from the Panthers, uh, Josh Papali from the Raiders, etc. Joseph Swali'i from the Roosters. I mean, you've got a great, great combination of, like, old, experienced heads and young, up-and-coming superstars and some that are currently in their prime. And so I think uh, this is going to be a really great team. But those are just some of the players I think perform the best. What about you, Tish? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, look, I think uh, – let me let me just go the, through the potential spine. Um, and I think the spine itself is, is one to watch. Uh, fullback, you probably could have Stephen Crichton, who's done an amazing job when he was fullback for Penrith. Then you've got Jerome Luai, who had played in the grand final, the New South Wales 5'8". You've got uh, Anthony Milford um, at halfback, who has, you know, won, well, came close to winning a premiership at Brisbane. Um, a great player when he's in form. And then, you know, and then obviously the dummy half might be a bit of a problem. But Fumor Brown has been, you know, the regular number nine for the West Tigers. And Danny Levi has had a great NRL career and has done well in in, in uh, England. So just that itself is, I mean, definitely a, an NRL grand final worthy spine. But not only that, I think an internationally recognized spine, if they can get their combinations going, which I think they'll be able to do. So I think... Yeah, I think the whole Samoan team is very exciting, which, you know, and uh, I believe bookmakers have actually got them favourites to beat England in their ver- in the very first match of this tournament, which is going to be super exciting. Wow. Moving on to Group B, uh, Australia coached by Mal Meninga. Obviously, uh, we, we did sort of discuss the team last time, the squad. Um, look, in my mind, I think uh, there's a couple of players that I'm looking looking out for, uh, and one is a debutant, uh, Nathan Cleary, wearing the traditional number 14. (laughs) No, okay. Um, (laughs) Look, Nathan Cleary, I think this is the tournament where we get to see, is he going to stamp his authority as uh, as a halfback, uh, our our Kangaroos halfback, or is Daly Cherry Evans as incumbent going to retain his spot? Um, you know, there's an argument to be made that the Queensland uh, New South Wales State of Origin battle um, showed that Daly Cherry Evans came out on top. You know, a superb kicking game that really uh, helped them in in games two and uh, well, game three in particular. Um, however, I think Nathan Cleary has sort of proven time and again that he he is able to, when required, take the game uh, you know in, in into his own hands and. I think I'm looking for him to do it. Look, and it's easy. There's so many other star. It's a star-studded squad. Latrell Mitchell, you know, Cameron Munster. But I, I still think that it all boils down to what can uh, Nathan Cleary do to bring all of these pieces of the puzzle together because I think he's the linchpin. A good halfback, you know, is what Australia needs to get on the front foot. What about you, Tish, very quickly? What are your uh, key highlights or players, uh, players to look out for? Yeah, look, Latrell and Nathan Cleary, I think, are the two players I'm most interested to see out of the Australian team, which is just st- stars end-to-end. All right. Oh, that was quick. Okay. <laughs> At least we agree, so that's good. Um, Fiji is also in Group B, head coach by Joe Rebelli. And, and look, again, another sort of star-studded squad. Interestingly enough, Viliami Kikau has been named captain. Uh, co-captain actually with Kevin Aguama 
uh, in my mind, uh, and, and then you've got, you know, Sivo and a few other players, look out for Kikau and Coruscant, the two Fiji and Penrith Panthers boys. Uh, I think together they are going to uh, cause some damage in this competition, let me put it that way. What about you, Tish? Yeah, look, I want to go to Sunyar uh, Turavu, um, who has played a couple of games for Penrith at uh, fullback, uh, sorry, at full, actually, I think fullback and on the wing. But he had a great game for Fiji as fullback, and I think he's going to be one of the exciting superstars. And I'm going to throw Brandon Wakeham in here. Um, he has played for Fiji before, done really well. He's had a couple of games with Cameroon Banks down as halfback. Um, but they need a general around uh, the thing, and I think Brandon Wakeham's a good enough player to do that. Um, and hopefully, again, a breakout tournament for him to get into an NRO lineup. All right. The next team is Italy, head coached by Leo Epifania. Um, not as much of a star-studded squad anymore because, as you'll remember, I think last time we had Tedesco and a few yeah. others that were actually playing for Italy, whereas now he's firmly entrenched as the Australian captain. So now I think, uh, you know, we've got a little bit, you know, this is probably why the team has gone down a bit in the rankings. But, look, the only player of NRL note is really Nathan Brown. And I think Nathan Brown... You know, ironically, he is actually, you know, he got the opportunity in the grand final for the Eels, didn't really do much, was pretty solid, but didn't really do much to stamp his claim over the other forwards. But I think I think he's got an opportunity here to, to sort of make amends and, and his usual hard running and offloading game uh, could pay dividends for them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. What about you, Tish? Yeah, well, look, I'm going to throw um, Guidona Arena, Ipolati Ocacianelli, and Ajax Rajata, Rajato. I don't know how to say these names. But they all play for Lugano Sharks, which I believe is an Italian team, right? So I want to see the talent that's coming out of Italy. Um, obviously, I think Italy, for their best shot, they need to have more NRL and Super League talent, which they do have a fair few, but not at that level that they've had in the past, um, mm. as, as we've just mentioned. But look, let's see how these three Italian, um, you know, Italian locals go. Uh, and sorry, um, I think uh, Giordano Arena actually plays for the Catania Bulls. Have you ever been to Liganano and Catania there, Dr. T? Uh, I think I know where Catania is, but not necessarily where Lignano is. But yes, I didn't know that they had these teams, and uh, I think that's a, the danger with some of the the local based competitions that are being stood up is that they often pick teams from kind of uh, not big areas, and so and so you end up like can you imagine the you know if if it was the roles were reversed and Australia was starting up a rugby league competition uh, where rugby league was dominated by other countries around the world, and then and yet we you know we we put up teams like. Penrith, Cronulla. Oh, hang on. That's what we do now. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, but, fair but, enough. But like the Broken Hill Bandits or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, I was, I was kind the of making a bit, BB, of, a, a, bit of a joke that it's a suburban, the teams have, happen to be suburban. And look, that's a good thing, to be honest, to be fair and, and not joking. That, that is a good thing sometimes, but it's also a negative if you don't have at least some representation from the bigger cities and towns because that way, you know, you're not really growing your game. You're just sticking to a tribal sort of thing. Um, but anyway, 
that being said, uh, let's move on to Scotland, head coach by Nathan Graham. And to me, it is Ewan Aitken is the main player with NRL experience here that, that could cause some damage. Um, there are others, Luke Bain from the Eels, etc. But I think I think the key player that I'm seeing here for Scotland is Ewan Aitken. Um, I don't know if they'll have a great tournament, but Tish, what about you for who are the players to look out for? Okay, well, I think for me, the player that I, I every time I watch a Super League game um, and he's involved in it, he always seems very exciting. So I want to see how he goes. And that is Matty Russell, um, which I think is pronounced in English Matthew Russell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, he's he's been an exciting fullback. I've seen um, hits the ball really hard and things like that. And again, you know, when they take on more of this NRL talent, um, I want. I wonder how he shines, and I think he'll he'll actually do quite well. And uh, yeah, and hopefully some of these players uh, for Scotland can make it into NRL squads to actually strengthen them up for later. All right, Group C. We've got Ireland, coached by Ged or Jed Corcoran. I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, look, the key player here, no doubt, is Luke Keary from the Sydney Roosters. You know, championship player. Um, you know, big game player, having even just one big game NRL star you know, in your pivotal halfback position is going to do these guys wonders. So these guys could be a bit of a surprise packet. What about you, Tish? Yeah, I think so too. And I think um, Jermaine Joloff as well. Um, I think I've seen him run around mm-hmm. in the top grade for the Titans and plays quite, plays quite well. Um, but yeah, Luke Kerry, he is the key to this squad. Um, to have any sort of chance of success. And, um, you know, having a halfback, an organising halfback with a good kicking game, um, I think could do wonders for a team that might struggle in other areas of the game, you know. Um, you know, tactically, they might have a bit of an advantage. All right. Jamaica, head coach Romeo Monteith. Uh, one of the interesting things with this squad, uh, probably the lowest ranked of the squads, is there are three, sorry, two players who are unattached to a club, which <laughs> I can't explain. What does that mean? Did they just get them off the street or something? That, that I find mm. that very hard to believe. No, I think that, it's a, I think it's a small rural town of Jamaica called Unattached. Oh, really? The Unattached uh, Unicorns. <laughs> um, all right, fair enough. Look, no, look, I honestly, a lot of the play, there's not one NRL player here. There are, however, a few players uh, in in the Jamaican squad that are uh, have some experience or uh, and are, are attached actually to a, the UK Super League teams. Um, mm. I don't know enough about any of these players to yeah. say with any confidence that I know what's happening. So, um, but yeah, uh, Tish, do you know anything about any of these players? No, look, I'm just excited for the team overall, right? To actually see how they how well they do. Probably, you know, uh, if I was if I just you know, Ronaldo Wade, Keenan Thompson, uh, Melvin Thompson, Andrew Simpson, um, Joe Brown, and um, you know, Kamazli McCain. Uh, these are, you know, they pay for the Dewani Park Red Sharks, which is a Jamaican team. Um, and I think in qualifying, yeah. So I want to see how the talent again from Jamaica goes. Um, Yes, there are some talent that is playing in the Super League, but unfortunately, I think a lot of these teams that they're playing for 
uh, are not the the high ranking teams of you know sort of the St Helens or the Wiggins and you know of that nature. But but definitely, I think um, you know let's hope they have a good tournament. Um, get get it you know get into some tight competitions. Be competitive is probably the main goal for for um, you know for Jamaica and um, yeah and. And who knows, you know, maybe there might be a couple of players that some NRL clubs will look at and think about signing up into into their programs. All right. Lebanon, coached by the great Michael Checker, former Wallabies coach and, and who else? Current is Argentinian is, rugby uh, coach. This, I mean, talk about talk about the modern world of flexible working and multiple <laughs> jobs. We've got Michael Checker who's coaching across the codes to, to, uh, you know, head coach of two nations across the yeah. two rugby codes. And, and, and let's not forget Peter Volandis, who is not only the CEO of the NRL or chairman, I guess, is he the chairman of the NRL? I think he's the chairman. Uh, but he's also chairman of racing New South Wales. So, cross sport so you know this is the modern era ladies it's not just you guys that are about flexible working the blokes also love having that second job uh and so look Lebanon uh obviously the key there are to me there are three key players to look out for and I really am very excited to see how these guys will uh play together and you know, not not ironically, not coincidentally, they happen to play for clubs that are in the Western Sydney heartland, uh, not not the far Western Sydney like the Penrith Pans. I'm talking about, you know, the inner Western Sydney heartland of uh, the Tigers, the Eels, and the Bulldogs, who are represented by Adam Dewey, Mitch Moses, Mitchell Moses from the Eels, and Jacob Carraz from. Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs, and who who's actually had some pretty good performances this year. So I think the key thing is everyone will be focused on Mitchell Moses, but let's not forget Adam Dewey has got is a pretty handy player, and I think the combination of him and Mitchell will be fantastic. As will Jacob Caraz as well, who's done some good things this year in a uh, a pretty disappointing Bulldogs team. Uh, he's been one of the shining lights. Uh, Tish, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think Lebanon will bring lots of passion, lots of heart, lots of spirit to this tournament. And I think they're going to surprise some people like they've done in the previous uh, version, you know, World Cups. Um, you know, I think definitely a chance to make it to the quarterfinals. And, you know, with Michael Checker, I actually did see a, 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 some footage of him coaching the team. And he actually took the cedar tree out and, you know, and then underneath all the roots, he put down you know, a whole bunch of KPIs, um, you know, for every every route, sort of saying that this is the foundation of what we need to do. And he, a lot about defense, a lot about communication and things like this. And I thought, well, you know, this is, this is like a, a new approach and I think it could pay wonders for these guys. But look, I think Mitchell Moses, I think this is a very important tournament for him. Mitchell Moses and Adam Dewey that, you know, both of these guys, because, you know they're going to have to steer the ship for the for this team, and they're going to be put in a lot of big match situations where they're not um, sort of necessary favoured to win. And the way they approach it, I think, should give them into the insights of when they're going to be playing bigger games at the end of the season, or even at state of origin level, how they can perform. Because I think with Mitch Moses, 
unfortunately, he hasn't been able to play well in those big games. Maybe this opportunity for Lebanon might be able for him to do that. So I'm really looking forward to Mitch Moses having a great uh, tournament along with um, yeah, along with Adam Dewey. All right. And the final team in, in uh, Group C is New Zealand, number one ranked in the world, head coached by Michael Maguire. These, this is probably, like I'd, I'd say on paper, probably the strongest, uh, you know, one of the strongest teams uh, in, in the, the entire tournament and in the world at the moment on form as well. Um, look out for players like Jerome Hughes from the Storm, uh, Joey Manu from the Roosters, and uh, who else? Uh, I'm missing someone. Dylan really Brown. Obvious. Dylan Brown from the Eels. So to me, the combination of Brown and Hughes, it remains to be seen what what that looks like. Uh, obviously, whenever you're talking about the halves 5-8 combination, it really depends on how they play together. We've talked about this endlessly, about you need someone with the organising mind and also someone who has that uh, X factor that can ignite the backs. And I wonder whether Brown and Hughes uh, can can do that. And, of course, I mean, Joey Manu, I mean, what, what can you say? He's one of the best players in the world, dangerous as when he's on song. Um it remains to be seen, yeah, whether uh, whether he's got what it takes uh, to step up at this level. But yeah, those are those are for me some of the main players uh, to look out for. Uh, I probably will throw in as well in the forwards, uh, James Fisher Harris uh, yeah. as, as one of the key players as well, mm. one of the enforcers. And I think having the all father of, of New Zealand, that's that's right. Having that kind of level of starch, as they say, in the forward pack alongside uh, Nelson, Asofa Solomona and the Bromwich brothers. I mean, you can have a very, very strong New Zealand squad here. Uh, yeah. And Jared Warrior Hargraves, I mean, if nothing else, this is going to be the toughest, probably grubbiest team. <laughs> no, no, I won't say that. No, they will definitely be one of the toughest teams. I mean, you've got Isaiah Papali as well, who's got some ball-playing skills on him. I mean, this is a really strong squad. Um, mm. Looking forward to seeing what they can do, but Tish, who are your who are your predicted standout players? Okay, well, I'm going to go back to that spine. Um, Joseph Manu, uh, you know, Dylan Brown, Jerome Hughes, and uh, Brandon Smith. Um, you know, at, at dummy half, right now, this is the interesting thing. These New Zealand is the only squad that has all their spine um, playing for a uh, a top eight team in the NRL, right? Their entire spine played in the top, like played in the final series, right? So mm. um, not even Australia has that, you know, DCE didn't make it. And, you know, with um, Ben Hunt and Harry, well, I suppose Harry Grant played for Melbourne, right? So, so yeah, but then, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I don't think Australia actually quite has it as much as what New Zealand has. And, uh, yeah, look, I think across the board they're strong. So, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the spine in general, and I think Dylan Brown again, great opportunity for Dylan to obviously. I think this is a very important tournament for Parramatta, right? Because if Dylan Brown can perform on the big stage, I mean, when's the last time did Parramatta have a halfback or a five eighth that was actually, you know, was actually you know playing for an international team? 
uh, a top tier international team and winning, you know, that I think will actually play into NRL form. So hopefully Dylan Brown can be a standout player and then um, maybe help Parramatta get past the hurdle that they couldn't get past this year. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's go to the teams in the Group D, the final group. Cook Islands, head coach by Tony Iro. Um, look, there's a couple of players of N- with NRL experience. We've got Dylan Napper, who now plays for the Catalans Dragons. But I would say Brad Takarangi from Hull Kingston Rovers, formerly of the Eels, uh, is the player to look out for. I think... In the centres, he he can even play second row, but in the centres, I think, is where he's most dangerous. Uh, if you're looking for someone to, to come up with a miracle flick pass or something uh, that ignites a backline movement where nothing is there, he's the player. Um, he's also prone to, you know, some some errors uh, in, in that kind of relaxed style that he plays. So it will be, put it this way, it will be an exciting game when the cookies play. What about you, mm. Tish? Yeah, look, uh, I think, yeah, Dane, and I think also Zane Tetavano, right, Uh, Mm. who, you know, was a great player for the Roosters and Penrith. Um, And straight away, they've got, they've actually got two really good high quality props, right, Um, that could be there. So I think, I think probably them, that those two can be the standouts uh, in this lineup. And we also have the Masters brothers, Stephen and Essen. They might not even be brothers, but. Um, but they've got the same surname, so you know I know that they've had some NRL experience, and they might, and I think they could do well as well. Awesome. Uh, Papua New Guinea is the next team, and coached by Stanley Tepend or Tepend. And uh, look, the I think the key player here there's a well, there's a few. They've got a pretty strong three quarter line. You know, Alex Johnson, Xavier Coates on the wings, and Justin Olam in the centres. I mean, you probably can't beat that that kind of uh, center winger kind of a lineup in terms of experience, and and uh, and so that's going to be pretty good for them to have that level of uh, you know intelligence and and calmness and patience and and wisdom in the back line. Um, Lachlan Lamb is also going to do well, so I think I'm I'm looking for those players to be the standouts, but really. In my mind, I think it's uh, it's Alex Johnson and Xavier Coates are going to be the two players that are going to dictate whether uh, these guys finish off their backline moves with a successful try or with nothing. Yeah, and look, I'm also going to put um, Nicole uh, Labert, who's had a great season in the Intrust Super Cup, and I think you know he's like a goal kicking superstar. Him and Lachlan Lamb in the halves and uh, combination. Um, hopefully be able to set up, you know, <laughs> Olam, Alex Johnston, Xavier Coates, and Neen <laughs> McDonald, um, mm. you know, for some tries. Uh, I, I think, yeah, again, a team that can really surprise a lot of other teams with the quality that they have. And, you know, even their sort of their weaker players are all playing for the PNG Hunters, which is also a very strong side as well. So I think you'll see good things out of Papua New Guinea and, and maybe they can make another level up quarterfinals and, you know, let's see who they play in the semifinals to get to the quarter. Uh, if they can make it into the semifinals, yeah. All right, Tonga, head coach by Christian Wolf. Uh, look, since the last time they played, there's been, you know, some players have kind of uh, improved their positioning in the game. Players like Will Penasini from the Eels have really sort of come up. See, see for Talakai from the Sharks. This has been a breakout year for him. Uh, 
And, uh, and of course, Daniel Tupo has uh, re-entered the State of Origin arena after being not, not being there for a while. But look, it all comes down to, I guess, the key players and the key one being Jason Tamalolo. Uh, I'm not sure if he's been made captain, but if he hasn't, he should because he is uh, the key player that started this entire movement, uh, you know, back, way back when. And I think he's still a key player now. So I'll be looking to him to, to get uh, uh, some, you know, great highlights from the tournament and, and just to just be generally a great captain for this Tongan side or or, or a leader, uh, put it that way, even if he's not officially captain. Um, so, Tish, uh, do you have any thoughts on Tonga? Who are the key players to look out for? Well, look, um, you've got Felice Kafusi who traditionally represents Australia uh, playing for Tonga in this tournament, which is, you know, a, a, I think a real boost for them. And obviously their forward pack, uh, Takiyaho, Tamalolo, um, you know, Tavita Tatola for, from South, um, you know, are going to be fen- phenomenal, um, you know, and you add you add Kafusi to that as well. Obviously they've got some great backs as well. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to think here, Moses Suli, Will Pedersini, as you mentioned before. So I think that's great. So obviously the the key oh well, David Fafita, let's not forget him. But look, I think the key is obviously how they how their halves, dummy half and all that sort of goes. The good news is they've got Lola here back playing for them for this tournament, um, who I think is doing really well in the Super League and he was, you know, a good sort of half for the Warriors and for the Tigers. And Tatai Amon, who um you know, has been the 5A for St. George and towards the back end of the season, was really doing well uh, with Ben Hunt. I think those two steering it with Sonny Luke, who will be the uh, main dummy half for the Penrith Panthers next year, I think that's got enough, combina- uh, enough um, you know, organisation in, in, in these three players for them to then be able to use their mobile forward pack and play off them. And a definite dark horse... To win the thing, I think uh, to win the tournament, I think everybody has been uh, riding on Samoa, but Tonga's actually been outperforming uh, Samoa in these World Cups, and I think they're actually a little stronger than what they were a few years ago, with the likes of Fafita and some of these halves starting to develop now as well. So, so let's hope that the trajectory stays onward, and yeah. with Tonga, they've got the most passionate fan base, don't they? And let's see that passion out there on the field, and I think they'll do phenomenal. All right. Wales, finally, head coach by John Keir, uh, yeah, a, a mostly UK Super League. Uh, there are some representatives from Australia, but not from the NRL. Uh, to me, the interesting thing is this is probably – this must be a first. This is a team that has four players with the same surname, Ben Evans, Kyle Evans, Reese Evans, and Will Evans – no idea if they are related at all. They seem to come from, uh, well, two of them come from Bradford Bulls. One comes from Wakefield Trinity, the other one from Whitehaven, RLFC. Um, I don't know enough about this team, unfortunately, to say with any confidence these are the players to look out for. But I guess Elliot Kia, captain of the and also playing for the Bradford Bulls, is uh, is one of the key players on paper that is. Uh, uh, you know, to, to look out for. But he plays on the wing, centre or fullback. Doesn't really, um, you know, is that the position to have a centre? I'm not sure. And or to make the best impact. Tish, uh, what do you think? Our last one before we go to the tips. 
Yeah, look, um, let's just put Kurt David, Curtis Davis in there. I don't know what he does, but, uh, you know, he is, uh, yeah, he plays rugby league. So let's see how he goes. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if if uh, I'm just going to quickly check. Is Curtis? Uh, um, so is there is there a Connor Davis as well? Am I reading this correctly? Hang on. Connor Davis. Yeah, there is a Connor Davis. Curtis. So, Davis Davis. so they're brothers. Uh, but I have no. I, was, I thought for a minute yeah. there that they were. And, and I can see to... an Anthony Walker. So so we're Sam Walker, right? Is that is that you know? And uh, and speaking of Walker. Um, where is Walker, Texas Ranger? He could do anything. Well, it's up to the Americans to uh, qualify. <laughs> Put it that way. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, our final tackle where we go through the tips. Here we go. Our tips, so just to explain the way we're doing this, we are going to tip right now, pre pre the first game, we're going to tip all the group games, uh, which are set to start. So the first one is going to start on Sunday, October 16th, and the last one I think will be at the end of October. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll revisit at the end of the group stages once we know who the quarterfinalists are, and then we'll give our tips for the rest of the knockout stages as well. Um, and we'll see how we go there. So, Tish, let's jump into it because we've got a lot to get through. So, England yep. v Samoa, um, you know, we don't have to discuss these in depth, but this is going to be a yep. real beauty. But I'm I'm tipping Samoa for this one. Yep. Look, one word answers for me for this whole thing, Samoa as well. All right. Um, France versus Greece. Uh, I think France for mine. Yep, Greece in an upset. Oh, there you go. England v France um, is uh, so. I probably should say when when it's on, right? Uh, Sunday, October. Uh, so well, October twenty third. This is in Australian time. Uh, England v France. I'm going to tip England for this one. Yep, England for me. Uh, October twenty fourth. Samoa v Greece in Doncaster. Uh, I think Samoa will easily win this one. Yeah, I think Samoa as well. Finally, England versus Greece, or not not finally, uh, October 30th, England versus Greece in Sheffield. Uh, England will win that one. Yep, England as well for me. I think we're pretty on par on this one, aren't we? <laughs> well, I think we are. This is the Samoa v France. Well, I think Samoa will win this one. This is October 31. Uh, it, yeah, um, at uh, Warrington is where that okay. will be played. Let me tip an upset here. Let me go France. No way. <laughs> what are you doing? You're, you're confident because you're ahead by a few points. <laughs> so there you go. Now the Group B fixtures. So October 16th, Australia v Fiji. Uh, I think the Kangaroos will win this one. Yeah, I think Australia um, would win this one as well. Scotland versus Italy in uh, Kingston Park, Newcastle on October 17th. I'm tipping Italy to win this one. Yep, I'm going to tip Scotland. October 22nd in Coventry, we've got Australia v Scotland. I think Australia will win this one quite easily. Yep, I'm going to tip Australia. 
Number 23, the big one, Fiji Ooh. versus Ooh. Italy, our our uh, our ancestral homes <laughs> are up against each other in the, the traditional match, right? in the traditional grudge match arena of Kingston Park, Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am tipping – look, I'm tipping Italy for this one. I have to. Okay. Look, I'm going to tip Fiji. I have to as well. And I did drive three and a half hours last time in uh, to Canberra to watch this fixture. They always give, seem to be in the same uh, same group. Fair enough. Um, October 30, Fiji versus Scotland. Uh, Ooh, I'm in, gonna again, Fiji. in Kingston Park, Newcastle. I'm tipping Fiji for this one. Yep, look, I'm going to tip Fiji as well. Uh all right, so now we've got uh, – where am I up to? Oh, hang on. October 30th, Australia versus Italy. Uh, I think Australia will win this one quite easily. Yep, I'll, I'll tip Australia there as well. All right, Group C, Jamaica versus Ireland. Ireland for mine. Yeah, look, you know what? Let's go Jamaica. Oh, cool runnings. Cool runnings, Let's yeah. see what happens. Um this is going to be a good one. October 17th at Warrington, Halliwell Stadium, New Zealand versus Lebanon. Uh, I think if anyone's going to ambush New Zealand, it will be Lebanon at this point in time, but I don't think they will do it. <laughs> so I think New Zealand will win this one quite easily. Yep. Look, I'm going to tip New Zealand for this one. Uh, October 23, New Zealand versus Jamaica in Hull. I think New Zealand will win this one too. Yep. I think New Zealand as well. Um, October 25th, Lebanon versus Ireland in Lee. Um, I, oh, this is going to be a tough one. I actually think Lebanon will win this one. Yeah. I'm going to tip Lebanon for this one as well. But you're right. It is a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. October 29th, New Zealand versus Ireland at Headingley Stadium in Leeds. Uh, I think New Zealand will win this one. Um, yep. I think New Zealand will win that one as well. And finally, and this could be the deciding factor of who gets into the quarterfinals, uh, Lebanon versus Jamaica on October 30th. I think Lebanon will win this one and make it into the quarters. Yeah, let me go. No, let me stick with Lebanon. (laughs) All right. And uh, finally, our Group D matches. The first one, October 19th at Totally Wicked Stadium in St. Helens is going to be Tonga versus PNG. Papua New Guinea, of course. I am tipping Tonga. Yeah, I'm going to tip Tonga for that one. October 20th in Lee is Wales versus Cook Islands. I think uh, Wales will win this one. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Cook Islanders to take that one out. Fair enough. Tonga versus Wales on October 25th at St. Helens, uh, Totally Wicked Stadium. Tonga will win this one easily. Yep, I think Tonga as well. October 26th uh, at uh, Halliwell Jones Stadium in Warrington. Papua New Guinea versus Cook Islands. Uh, PNG for man, for mine. Yep, I think PNG as well. Uh, Tonga versus Cook Islands at Middlesbrough, and I think Tonga will win this one, although it'll be a fiery affair. Yep, yep. Look, I think Tonga will win this one as well. And finally... November the 1st, the very last game before our final series, we've got uh, all the knockout stages, however you want to call it. 
Papua New Guinea versus Wales, and I think the winner of this is guaranteed to get into if everything else falls correctly uh, with what we've predicted. the winner of this will end up being a quarterfinalist. It's between Papua New Guinea and Wales, and I'm thinking Papua New Guinea has got enough firepower to bring it home. Well, I believe this is a rematch from the last World Cup, which PNG won. I'm going to tip Wales to wow. come back with Avengers because I think this is a bit of a grudge match um, based off the last one because the last one I think was a bit fiery, right? Um, so, yeah, but look... You yeah. can see this. There's, there is. I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion. Some of these matches, how they're going to line up in the group stages, are, is a doctor T. No, that's right. And I think it's fair to say that for all the groups, we've got. Um, if I'm just going through the the the, uh, the teams that are in those groups, you know, I think it's fair to say it's easy enough to work out uh, who the top team will be in three of those groups. I think it's fair to say Australia, New Zealand, and Tonga will easily win their groups. The question mark is Group A. England and Samoa both, I think, are in with a chance of coming one, at least first in that group. And I'm tipping, you know, that there will be – that both England and Samoa will be one and two. So I'm I'm tipping at least we know who the quarterfinals will be from that group. Um, But what's interesting is – the level playing field that we've got in the other groups, you know, Fiji, Italy, Scotland in years gone by, you know, you wouldn't have considered them kind of very equal, but I think, I think there's a chance that Fiji could be toppled here. Um, But you never know. Um, And, and the same with group C, you know, Lebanon and Ireland have equal claims, I think, to being number two in that group. So we could be getting new, a new quarterfinalist in Lebanon, um, there and in Group D, uh, we've got you know PNG, Wales, Cook Islands. I think they're you know although PNG is a bit higher highly ranked, I think Cook Islands and Wales definitely could push them. So you could end up with yeah. uh, again a completely different uh, quarterfinals makeup compared to what you're expecting. Tish, your final well, word well, on this? I have locked in my my tips, but I do need to make a correction about the 2017 PNG Wales game. Uh, the final score was uh, Wales six, PNG fifty. Um, so, so definitely <laughs> not a close grudge match. But but I think maybe Wales might seek some revenge. Um, the only fiery, the only fiery part of that uh, that game, Tish, was when uh, when the Wales team went and got some spicy wicked wings at KFC after the game. I think that was the only. I think the problem is they got those before the game, perhaps. Oh, and <laughs> it didn't fire them up. It didn't work. <laughs> and I had the whales, you know, the KFC, you know, you get the KFC, like, you know, um, bloated feel. Like, I think that's probably how they ran onto the field, you know. So, Well, you know, and there's no truth to the rumour that at half time they were so disappointed with their performance that one of them said, did someone say KFC? <laughs> no, okay. Anyway, that's not sorry. That's only a local joke for Australian viewers who know what the ad is. <laughs> All right. Well, that being said, I think we've had an an epic preview episode of the Rugby League World Cup. We can't wait. I can't wait. You can't wait, and I'm sure everyone listening can't wait uh, to to see what happens. But look, we will update. We'll give update and reviews of the games as we see them in the coming weeks, heading to the. Uh, obviously the, the the finals, the knockout stages of this tournament. Um, but Tish, 
It's been an epic one. I'm tired. Let's go home. Uh, yeah. Over to you to wrap this one up. Well, that's <laughs> all the time we have for this edition of the Rugby, Rugby, Rugby League Republic. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>